0: Now on Money News, let's talk business. Brought to you by Officeworks, helping you make bigger things happen.
1: And a huge thanks to Officeworks as usual because we get to talk small business for the last half of every Tuesday night show and uh, we always have Scott Haywood join us to do that. Uh, joining us live from Melbourne, Hey, Scott, good to have you on the program again.
2: Thank you, Brooke. And it's two months today to the day. The 28th of September, 2020 is the day that the JobKeeper payments will cease for a number of businesses. And of course, today being the 28th of July, now is the time to start planning as business owners. And more importantly, if you're an employee of a business that has been under final distress, the conversations have to start happening right now. Eight weeks to go. And
1: they're going to be tough, aren't they? They're going to get a lot tougher, I think, than they probably were in the last couple of months.
2: Well, a lot of the inquiries I've had from small business owners this week have been the turnover test eligibility to keep JobKeeper. And I think we better reassure people and make it crystal clear that they need to already be on JobKeeper. They have to have a decline of 30% in both quarters. And when I say both quarters, I mean the June 2020 quarter and the September 2020 quarter to qualify for payments until the 3rd of January 2021. Now, I don't think a lot of business owners realise that, that they have to be able to qualify for both. Now, they may think that they will qualify in the September quarter, but they'll then have to repay it back. There could be penalties and fines. So it's going to be much, much tougher to get, and businesses really need to speak to their accountant or look at the decline. Mm. As I said, a 30% turnover in both the June quarter and the September quarter to keep JobKeeper payments beyond the 28th of September 2020.
1: And this has all put a lot of pressure on people. I mean, to state the obvious, but just got an email in in this program from someone who has decided not to give their name because they were part of a a webinar today, Tax and Super Australia. So it was hosted a a webinar on JobKeeper 2. And just focusing on the work and pressure it's about to put on tax agents, which this uh, listener says is too much, along with tax, tax lodgements and all the other compliance matters, the speaker apparently ended this webinar presentation today saying basically talking about if you feel suicidal, seek help. I mean, this was to 800-plus tax agents. And this listener says, I agree with tightening JobKeeper, but surely there's got to be a better way.
2: It's a good point. And uh, look, I spoke to a, a number of accountants in the last week and they are doing so much pro bono work because how can you charge if you're ringing up about job keeper applications or cash flow applications or lodgements that haven't been credited to the people's businesses accounts? Accountants simply aren't charging that work because they don't feel as though they should. And that's a real problem. You know, obviously I'm very grateful that there's 3 million plus employees across Australia on JobKeeper. There's 900,000 businesses that are currently getting it. But we've had on our show before uh, AustralianCatering.com.au, which is a business in Queensland. Now, they got JobKeeper because their business was literally wiped out. Now they're looking at probably about a 50 to 60% drop for the June quarter. But they're trying to get back on track and maybe be positive for the September to December quarter, which means they'll be off JobKeeper. That means if you're not getting a thirty percent quarter on quarter drop from the year before, you do not qualify for JobKeeper in the next, you know, quarter. It's now, kind that's... of you're
1: damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, At... they've, they've just bust you bust your boiler trying to just stay afloat and get your business back. You know, knowing that those wage subsidies will come to an end, but then. You know that essentially the, the, the pin gets pulled
2: well that's right and the issue that he's got is that some of his employees may go to another employer that are getting JobKeeper so what that means is that you might be a catering business or an event business and as you spoke to Patrick about the hospitality industry hospitality business that's on JobKeeper if he doesn't qualify he could lose key staff because of course that other employer is getting a free kick they've got employees that are free so it, mm. it's really really tough and one of the things that I think, and I, I, again, we're going back to, to really old school principles, and that's the Pareto principle. Now, question without notice, in your university and study days, can you remember what the Pareto principle was? I don't
1: remember that word. No, Okay. Go okay. It. Um, Educate Pareto, me and anyone else listening.
2: Okay, Pareto principle is the eighty twenty rule, which says that, 80% of outcomes or outputs result from 20% of causes or inputs. And what it means from a business point of view is that 80% of your sales come for 20% of your customers. And, and this is the situation that business owners need to identify who are the twenty percent of customers that are contributing up to eighty percent of your company sales? How are you educating them? How are you telling them what you're doing business wise? How are you telling them what you're trying to do in terms of promotions, in sales, in maybe having some staff unfortunately go to Job Seeker, but you might want to get them back on JobKeeper if they can if or get back as on as an employee or reducing hours. And I think that's a really important principle a lot of small business owners address is that eighty percent of most company sales are probably coming from just twenty percent of customers and they need to be identified now Mm. before these JobKeeper payments stop.
1: We did just mention, you know, the pressure on people and I did say if you feel suicidal, seek help. This is what um, something that was said at this webinar today and we got the the listener send in that email about that 138. One 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 four or thirteen eleven fourteen. Of course, is the Lifeline number if people do um, feel like that and they do want to speak to someone. So I should remember to say that too. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of pressure on people. It's a great. Um, I think that's a really practical thing to say and to remind ourselves of. You know, your most important customers and really focus on them and, and um, servicing those customers. I've got a call on the line from Richard who wants to weigh into things. Richard, good evening. Welcome to Money News.
0: Good day. Yeah. Uh, how are you, Brooke?
1: Yeah. Good. Thank um, you.
0: Last night, um, you had um, a person being interviewed and uh, there was mention of a possible 30 to 40% um, fall in real estate um, uh, in Australia or New South Wales or somewhere. Um, And then there was an immediate comment um, from the group, let's say, that um, uh, the government will will need to step in. And uh, what I wonder is, uh, in a free market economy... um, um, where market forces uh, cause a rise in real estate over a period of years, why not let those same market forces allow um, a fall? In other words, why not let the market um, control sort out its own situation? Yeah, because it all...
1: Yeah, a, yeah, exactly. There's a kind of a privileged um, uh, position that housing holds in the economy and uh, we're kind of protecting it at, at every opportunity. Richard's referring to an interview with Louis Christopher, who I had on Money News last night. Um, Louis Christopher is a very respected housing analyst. He goes by the numbers and he's saying on his latest numbers, he reckons there's a 50-50 chance of a 30% decline um, in the national house prices, which sounds pretty scary, of course. It's not the only view out there. It's one view we've covered. Um, but... It goes back to. Um, you can weigh on this in on this as as well, Scott. It goes back to the fact that the housing market is so important to our economy that is the way we've structured it whether we like it or not that is the reality that it has essentially become too big to fail so i was talking with louie about you know all these businesses that need help and need protecting it does seem that housing is put front and center but there's a good reason it is worth so much to this economy um it's our our greatest asset as households i think it's worth something like 13 trillion dollars against even super which is three trillion dollars so yes the government does have housing in its sights when it talks about stimulus and, and you know, the parts of the economy it wants to help.
2: Well, I think your interview tonight with Patrick was also relevant, where it's about what sort of spirit small business owners and entrepreneurs and property owners have in this market. Like, it's likely they will just hang on and they simply won't sell. So we're seeing across Australia a number of transactions that are a lot lower than usual, even though it is winter and people generally don't sell their property in winter. A 30 to 40% drop, well, it certainly could happen in the Melbourne, city and Brisbane property market from an apartment point of view, but I don't think a lot of landowners will literally simply say, I'm going to take a cheaper price in this market until we see some sort of recovery. As I said, I think property prices will certainly drop after the JobKeeper changes occur, but I don't think you'll see it at that excessive level because people simply will survive without selling.
1: Yeah, well, there's uh, Ray Ellis from First National Real Estate. I chat to him often on this program too, and he's. I know you chatted to him recently. He's really optimistic, so that's another view. But um, as I said, Louis Christopher's going on his numbers. And that's why we talked about that one last night. And I've got to say, we did get a lot of feedback because people feel... Very passionate about housing, of um, as we all know. Whatever side you're on housing, uh, everyone feels passionate about it. We'll take a quick break. And, yes, we will talk about masks and how employers can deal with this situation after this.
0: Let's Talk Business is brought to you by Officeworks, helping you make bigger things happen.
1: Welcome back. Thanks to Officeworks for Let's Talk Business tonight. Scott Haywood's still with me and uh, Scott is in full mask mode, of course, uh, in Melbourne town at the moment.
2: Well, masks have certainly become something that I didn't expect to have to do unless I was going to some sort of party, but now it is now compulsory and I must say that Melburnians and Victorians are fully embracing them. However... I think in going into cafes and restaurants, uh, there is still a level of confusion as to when the mask should be up and when it should be down. And I think that's something that's really important that business owners understand, especially if they're working from home.
1: Yeah, this is actually important. And of course, we've got a lot of attention on masks because of these kind of morons that have been in Bunnings stores and in the uh, the post office. Um, I think people have seen the videos. We won't deal with those videos today. Um, but I, we do want to clear up what the law says from a business point of, uh, business owner's point of view for small business. Because as you said, it's critical that business owners do understand the laws around masks, what you can, what you can't do. Now, this is not just Melbourne because a lot of us are talk, talking about masks elsewhere. I mean, Queensland, very fortunate, no community transmission at the moment, but The mask Conversation is a live one. So if you're a business owner and you've got any questions, in fact, about your legal rights and responsibilities, 131873, I'd love you to give us a call because we've got Michael Burns with us this evening. He's a leading employment law expert. He's a, a partner with Swab Lawyers and it's great to have you on the program, Michael, again.
3: Thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Scott. Good well, evening.
1: And you're always a straight talker, which is why we love chatting to you. Legally speaking, can a Victorian business ban... Or prevent someone from entering their store if they are not wearing a mask. Uh,
3: if they want to do that, they absolutely can. In in Victoria, they are they have to do that. In Melbourne, at least, in those areas affected by um, by the by the restrictions, they have to do that. Um, in other states, if a um, if a business wants uh, customers patrons to wear a mask, then that's something that they can impose as a condition of entry. Really, the only exception to that would be someone. With a, with a medical condition where it might constitute disability discrimination. But other than that, if, if a business wants to insist on a mask, then, then they can do that in, in pretty much any state at any time.
2: Michael, last night, Brooke interviewed Jim Penman, who's the founder of Jim's Mowing, and a lot of small business owners who own franchises may now be working from home, or many franchisees may be offering services still, as in mowing or cleaning or antennas or whatever else is going on, because we have seen a big rush in people wanting to get connected online if I'm at home right now and I'm in my workplace because I'm now everyone's working from home, I don't have to wear a mask but if someone comes to my front door to do a service, do I have to wear a mask and what are the legal obligations I have and all that contractor or that person who I'm paying to come into my house because that's now my new office?
3: Yeah, very interesting, Scott. So if they, if the service provider says to you that they want you to wear a mask, then that's a condition on which they're providing the service and it's their prerogative to do that. So even though it's your home, it becomes their workplace. And the employer has obligations to ensure the health and safety of those workers who are working at the residential property. And so for that reason, if they want you to wear a mask, um, then they can make that a condition of providing the service. Again, subject to any, uh, any medical conditions and the like, but, but as a general proposition, that's certainly something they can do. And they can say, well, look, if you're not going to wear a mask, then we're not going to provide the service. We're not coming into the home because we consider it important for you to be wearing a mask to uh, ensure that our workers are, are kept safe and it's okay. part of their obligation hmm. in relation to health and safety.
2: So the tradie wears a mask or the person who's offering the service wears a mask, even if you're seeing your account, which we just talked about how busy and overworked accountants are coming in after the, the June 30 rush if they come to your house, they've got to wear a mask, and then they can then say to you, I would prefer you to wear a mask before they offer a service, and then they can turn around and walk away. And what about employees of small business owners who are also working from home? What's their obligation? Do they have to go and fork out money for a mask if someone comes to their place?
3: Well, that's an interesting question, Scott. If they're required to wear a mask as part of their work, then then arguably the employer is is obliged to provide that as part of safety equipment so right. it depends on the circumstances now if i'm working here at home um then i don't i don't need to wear a mask to do that and if i have a if i have a tradesperson come to my house that's really a, a private matter and so if i need to wear a mask for that that's something I'd, I'd bear the expense for but if if as part of their work uh employees need to uh procure masks wear masks then that arguably is something that uh, the employer should provide depending on the circumstances
1: Michael Burns, always great to have you on the show. I think there's plenty of legal hot potatoes uh, with regards to small business owners we'll we'll, uh, talk with you about in the future. So we look forward to that. Thank you for your expertise, employment law expert and partner at Swab Lawyers. Michael Burns, thanks.
2: Thank you, Brooke. Thank you, Scott.
1: And Scott Haywood, thanks to you for this week. And we will uh, catch you next week, same time.
2: Good on you, Brooke. Thank you.